Ladies and gentlemen, good evening. Are you ready? Okay, here we go. You're listening to the Deal Room Podcast. Join us as we bring you the inside scoop on business sales and acquisitions. Get across trends in the area and hear the industry's best recount their real life tips, traps, and experiences. Now, here's your host, Joanna Oki. Hi, it's Joanna Oki here and welcome back to the Deal Room Podcast, a podcast proudly brought to you by our commercial legal practice, Aspect Legal. Now, today we have on the show Mark Attard from Exclusive Business Sales, who is talking with me all about buying and selling accounting practices. This will be a two-part series where we really dive into a lot of discussion about how selling an accounting practice or buying an accounting practice can be different to buying and selling other types of businesses. We look at the current market conditions. We look at inquiry levels at the moment. We look at who the buyers are of accounting practices. We talk about why it's not just always about the price. And we discuss why the terms of the sale for an accounting practice can be so much more important than in any other industry. We look at business clients versus individual returns. We look at price. We look at the sale of the accounting practice and so much more. In fact, Mark and I had so much to talk about in this topic that this has ended up as a two-part series. So in part one, which is the episode that you're listening to right now, we're talking about filtering prospects. We're talking about due diligence. We're talking about classic mistakes that sellers make. We're talking about the benefits of using a broker and we're talking about what makes selling an accounting practice different from selling another type of business. And then in part two of the series, which will be released next week, we'll go through current market conditions before and during COVID. We'll talk about business clients versus individual returns in an accounting practice and the impact on valuation. We look at the quality of accounting clients that can impact valuation. We talk about committing to the process and we give some final tips and takeaways. So buckle in, here we go with part one of our two-part series, all about buying and selling accounting practices. Hi, Mark, and welcome to the Deal Room Podcast. Good to be here. (laughs) Fabulous. It's so good to have you, Mark. And I'm really excited to have this discussion today about buying and selling accounting practices because number one, we have a lot of accountants who are listeners. Uh, Number two, I deal with a lot of accountants um, who are acquiring or who are selling. And so I think like we're going to have loads of things that um, we find interesting to delve into together today. And number three, because you're just a really nice guy and I love to chat to you. So how about that? Oh, I think- thank you, Joanna. You're too kind. <laughs> um, okay. So why don't we kick it off? I guess the right thing to do right here is maybe for you to just begin by telling us how is it that you work with accountants? What's your background? And why? Sure. Why do you why why do you work in accounting practice acquisitions and sales? My start with accounting practices started quite a few years ago when I worked in corporate banking for ANZ, and uh, at the time they developed a uh, accounting package for accountants, other professionals, um, where they would lend money for them to acquire other practices. Mm. So I used to work uh, closely with accountants for many years and I found uh, accountants, it does take a while to uh, 
to build that re- relationship with accountants. And uh, basically, well, like told- lawyers, I guess we're all we're, we sort of we conservative industries, aren't we? It takes us a little while <laughs> to build that bond and that uh, you know that trusting relationship. <laughs> yeah. So my my. Um, my my time at ANZ was probably over 25 years and so my relationships from the ANZ days have sort of carried through to my days in business sales. I've been doing business sales for about 12 years now mm-hmm. and uh, I don't just sell accounting practices but I do have a, a, a bit of a speciality in working with accountants. Uh, I know a lot of accountants around Sydney and, uh, yeah, I know the intricacies of, uh, of selling an accounting practice. Brilliant. And it's an interesting, I guess, accounting practices are an interesting uh, industry within our um, M&A business sale and acquisition industry because often there's the case um, that there's lots of sellers and not many buyers, but in the accounting industry, it's that's almost flipped on its head, right? Exactly. We've got... Uh... We've got a database. I can't tell you how many people we've got on our database wanting to buy uh, accounting practices, but I get calls regularly. Uh, mm-hmm. Every week I get calls from people looking for accounting practices and I, I get the opportunity several times a year, uh, three, four times a year to sell accounting practices. Mm. Um, and, you know, invariably when we advertise accounting practices, I'll have 100 inquiries to work with. So Wow. So generally, 100 to 1. That's yeah, a, so generally I need a shortlist, um, uh, uh, you know, the, the prospects because mm-hmm. you can't talk to 100 accountants. Like you basically get a shortlist to about five or six uh, accountants to talk to. And, look, um, from talking to uh, the prospective buyers, I can tell whether there's a fit or not. Um, I generally, how? you know. So, so how do you do that? So how do, how do you come up with your shortlist? Well, I suppose number one on the list is um, delving a little bit into uh, the financial side to work out where, what someone's situation's like, mm. uh, financial position to to actually be able to acquire accounting practices. Do, do um, you mean like have they have they worked out where the finance is? Have they got themselves finance ready? Is that what you mean by that? Yeah, just I mean you can only do so much inquiry in that area, but mm. you can get get a good feel if someone's uh, you know ready to buy an accounting practices, mm. uh, an accounting practice. Um, to what their situation's like, so um, their current situation. So we've got buyers coming from different areas, so. I mean, typically a buyer might already have an accounting practice um, and looking to acquire a bunch of fees to grow their accounting practice. Mm-hmm. Um, it might be a partner in one of the bigger firms that's looking to go on, on their own. Mm-hmm. And um, everyone knows it takes time to build a client base. And, um, you know, if you leave a, a, a bigger firm um, and go on your own, it's going to take a couple of years to get to a critical mass where uh, where it can support uh, support the principal. Such a good point. And so, you know, um, this is the avenue of getting a running start on it all by by the client base. The other the other thing is um, generally uh, accounting practices to, to to be viable, they've got to be getting pushing up to three, four, five hundred thousand in in uh, in fees. Mm. Um, any less than that and uh, you just don't get the economies of scale, mm. um, you know, to be able to employ people. Um, mm. And generally, you know, from what I can see, accounts 
uh, at that level really get worn out with all the um, the compliance stuff mm. and get bogged down with the compliance. Whereas if you've got a firm with eight hundred thousand to a million in fee, you can employ people, a practice manager. Mm. You know, you don't have to be all things to everyone. Mm. And you know they're more likely to have systems and processes in place that exactly. um, you know make the operation potentially easier. Um, okay, so so your shortlist. By are there any other things that contribute to the shortlist? So number one, you identify whether or not they are financially ready, um, and what what else is in that? Like I presume, and I could just be guessing here. Um, I presume that. Um, Particularly with accountants, it must be relevant to understand how much they know about the process, how educated they are, and how long they've been thinking about it. Because I think this is an example of a type of industry, um, and certainly based on um, my experience of uh, working with clients, um, and we're making broad uh, generalizations here, but just from a ge- broad generalization perspective, um, accountants uh, tend to take a bit longer, in my experience, to go from that idea of I want to buy a practice to actually finding the right practice and then having the confidence to complete, you know, uh, because one of the things that I see can be a bit of an issue for accountants purchasing is if they're on their first run through, so they've, they've gone through their first target, their first sort of, it's almost they need a first dry run, they um, they can often get bogged down in the due diligence stage because they just suddenly then get a bit nervous about it all because they haven't done the learning, they haven't taken themselves through the process. Do you see that too? A couple of good points there is um, talking about that due diligence piece. Due diligence doesn't need to take a a long time. Mm. I've seen due diligence done in, you know, two hours. Wow. Um, You know, um, on a smaller practice where someone picks up five or six files at random, just checks through the file notes, you know, works out, you know, the quality of the files. Um, and I've seen that done even, you know, on larger firms as well where, you know, due diligence doesn't take a long time at all. Um, on your point about having a dry run, um, yeah, the ideal buyer for us is someone that's bought other accounting practices. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because they've yeah. been through it all. They know what to look for. Yeah. They know what they're prepared to pay. And it's funny, um, you know, even though there's a lot of competition for accounting practices, accountants generally won't overpay for an accounting practice. They they know exactly what the market is and um, they just won't. uh, There's a parameters in which they'll pay up to and beyond that, um, you know, you're just stretching it too far. So, and we know what those parameters are. We, we, uh, when we do evaluation on a business, we're generally, this is all, all types of businesses, but generally we like to be, you know, five, five to 10% uh, range of uh, where we pitch it. Pitch it. Mm. So, mm. you know, sometimes we, we stretch it a little bit, but, but you know, it, it uh, generally settles around the price that, uh, that uh, we have in mind in the first instance. I do find that an interesting thing about this particular industry segment, that there is so much competition for accounting practices and yet that doesn't move the dial in terms of the price. It's not like, you know, in, in a large way. Like it's interesting, isn't it? It's fascinating. But, yeah. Um, <laughs> I mean, I've been selling practices probably around 10 years um, and 
Yeah, the price doesn't seem to go up, but I think if you went back 20 years, uh, the price would have been uh, vastly different to what they are yes. today. Yes, Because uh, the same has happened with the uh, mortgage-broking industry. Um, financial planning is another animal because of all the legislation that's come in. It's, it's, it's changed um, in another way. Yeah, yeah. Okay, all right. So, so that's good. So, so I guess we've given some tips about the buy side, but let's talk about the sell side um, at the moment. It, uh, you know, let's talk about the sell side generally and then let's have a bit of a chat about market conditions because I'd love to do that as well. Um, and everyone loves current up-to-date trends, so we've got to give a bit of that as well, Mark. Let's do that. But sure. let's start with what is it? What do you think are the classic mistakes that sellers make or things maybe that um, – accounting practices who are looking to sell maybe don't quite realise from the beginning? Often accountants don't think about the exit strategy, mm. I mean, early enough. And lots. I am generalising, but I've seen quite a few uh, cases where that's happened. They're so busy running their businesses that uh, it's taken a second, it's a second priority to yeah. them. Yeah. The better firms, and I've got numerous examples of better firms where they haven't need me for their uh, exit strategy. Mm. So typically, you know, uh, they've had a, a junior accountant come on board. Some I've seen them sometimes where they've been, you know, uh, graduates that have joined with their senior principal, and uh, over time, that that junior has become part owner of the firm. Mm. And generally speaking. You know, once the the older accountant is ready to retire, the uh, the junior uh, accountant will take over the practice. Yeah, and I guess that's an example of good succession planning. But on the flip side, you know, I, I guess what accountants need to be careful of is the 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 amount that they're limiting the um, value that they might get at sale, number one, or limiting the um, the structure of the sale, so maybe the amount of money they might get up front or whatever, by only looking at that strategy rather than going to market. Is that what True. you'd say? It's, it depends on their motivation. So, you know, if, if your motivation is to sell and get most of your money up front, you know, a succession planning strategy like that may not always work, but it's, yeah. a, it's a gradual exit. And what I find is most accountants don't want to finish up on, on the Friday and uh, play golf on the Monday. They all want to, you know, be, uh, you know, continue in some capacity helping with the firm. Mm. And it might be just being the face of the clients. Mm. Um, that's, that's an important point, actually. Um, you know, for, for firms that do sell, you know, a, an orderly transition where the, the outgoing owner uh, you know, is on, you know, a contract a couple of days a week for, for up to 12 months, even beyond that if, you know, they both agree, it all helps because, you know, the face is still there until the, the clients meet the new accountant once, possibly twice, and get some confidence in the, uh, the accountant that's acquired the firm. You don't have a relationship until then. Yeah. So having the, the old accountant there is, uh, is invaluable for, for retention of clients. Yeah, and you know one of the things that I have seen scuttle deals in this space before is sellers perhaps not being 
so tuned in to how important it is for them to ensure that their clients are going into trusted hands or hands that they trust. And in the beginning, it might seem about the dollars and how the deal is structured. But as we go along and get to that point of transition, or worst, after completion, they suddenly start thinking this through. If they don't have confidence in the buyers, it can cause massive issues with the deal. So this is something that I think is actually really important for sellers in this space to think about from the beginning. What is it that they are looking for in a buyer as well? What do you think about that, Mark? No, I I agree with that, Joanna. And it comes back to that original point of uh, how we filter uh, all these prospects Mm. at the start. I take a position when I'm talking to people as if I'm in the seller's shoes Mm. and work out, can this person jump into the space of the the seller Mm. and transition their business without losing clients? Mm. And um, if it's not apparent, like there's probably some good examples would be, you know, an accountant that just simply works with iReturn type clients, trying to buy a practice that's got you know, numerous clients that have t- turned over $15, $20 million. You know, it's not going to be easy for that uh, accountant who hasn't had the experience in, in small to medium business to mm-hmm. uh, to transition those clients. And it'll affect the uh, the seller as well because, you know, uh, when you sell an accounting practice, there's invariably uh, retention that's held, you know, to account for any loss of clients over one, possibly two years. Mm. And that could be up to 20. I've seen it, you know, up to 30%. Mm. So, you know, yeah. uh, the selling, um, the seller of the accounting practice, he needs to be confident that those clients are going to transition and not leave, you know, as yeah. soon as, uh, as soon as they, the incumbent accountant. Yep. Yep. And and it's interesting. I love like the different terminology in this space because I love how accountants in the accounting sphere We tend to always call this a retention um, or sometimes people like to refer to it as a clawback, but ultimately it's not a clawback. It's more about a retention of the purchase price. But in the rest of the world, we call it an earnout because ultimately it is. That's what it is. It's an earnout. You know, if you meet these metrics, this is the amount that we'll pay into the future. But I just love that in the accounting world, same thing, but we just call it retention instead. Love it. That's so hilarious. <laughs> cool. And, and I love in accounting terms the reference to tuck in as well. Like, I think that's fabulous because. Um, uh, you, you know, it's just, once again, it feels like a little bit of industry jargon, whereas yeah. we have the same concepts happening in other industries, but we just don't use the same for. Yeah, so true. Right? So true. I love it. I love it. I love it that you can have <laughs> within this M&A space, it's like, like, you know, this little subsection of jargon that relates to only the one area. But anyway, that's cool. We're debunking the jargon here today, Mark. We're explaining what it really is. Love it. Um, okay, cool. So we've sort of talked about some of those benefits of using a broker. Maybe you can just talk a little bit more about it. So you talked about, well, here's one way of exiting this succession planning approach. And we said, brilliant, if you can make it work, there are a few reasons why it may or may not work. And it's a really long-term strategy that may or may not work if the, um, you know, the staff that you're bringing on board with that succession plan in mind ultimately don't want to 
Um, you know, it, it doesn't work for them. They're not the right people. The clients don't like, I don't know, stuff like that. You know, stuff can go wrong with that approach and it's a really long-term approach. So if if we're looking at a shorter-term approach for someone who's selling a practice just wants to sell in a, you know, one to three-year time span and we're saying, well, there's heaps of buyers around, why is it that they should use a broker? So by using a broker, I suppose they're going to have exposure to various types of buyers of their business. Yeah. Like I said before, you've got the young accountant that's coming out of a big firm. You've got the uh, suburban practice that's got two offices wanting to expand their their uh, their fee base. Um, sometimes you'll have a city firm that, you know, uh, wants a, a presence out in the suburbs or a regional centre as well. Mm. Um, and sometimes they're not solely business reasons. There might be personal reasons for, for wanting, wanting exposure to those, uh, those areas. Mm. So, you know, having, having, a, uh, having a broker uh, also has added benefits of taking away the, the emotional side. I agree. Um, the emotional side is really important. Um, and, look, we do have accountants coming to us that just may not be ready at the time to sell. Mm. And you can tell because uh, they'll they'll be pushed back, and it'll be difficult to find the right buyer for their mm. business. Mm. And it does happen. Like um, you know, if if someone's not ready, well, sometimes it just it'll just mean you know them running it another couple of years mm. because it, it's a big decision. Most of these accountants have been working in their firms for 20, 30 years. That's why I think a long transition helps not only the buyer. But it helps helps the seller emotionally as well. Yeah, yeah, I, I totally agree. And 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 I think just jumping in here, I, I think you know, it's probably useful for our listeners to hear that whilst as accountants you may have dealt with clients who are buying and selling businesses, boy, it's different when you are the client, when you are the business that is selling or acquiring as well. And it can be hard to keep that emotional disconnect, you know, that the distance that's required to make good decisions and fast decisions. I think if you don't have someone guiding you through the process. So, the first thing that I would say is often when I deal with accountants, I feel like they think they should know everything about the process and they should, you know, it's almost like they feel that because they have this role of trusted advisor and have dealt with their clients in sales or acquisitions before, that they should that they, that it's expected that they understand the whole process and they understand the legal side and that they understand the process of selling. And yet it's not. Like it's so different sitting on the client side. There's so many other things that are going on than what you as an accountant have had to deal with and advise on in your accounting capacity. What's your thoughts on that, Mark? So true. Look, in, in addition to uh, to qualifying buyers, it's important for us to also find a match, a matching yeah. personalities, a matching yeah. personality between the outgoing owner and the, the purchaser. But not only that, a match between the staff. Mm. They're going to they're going to be really important point. in the transition. Yeah, and uh, you know if you've got if you've got a, a situation where the staff are not on the same page as the incoming owner, uh, issues will 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 arise at some point. 
during the sale process. That's such a good point. I just have to throw in there, like I totally agree with you. We're just like an agreeing bundle here. I feel like we need to disagree on something to prove that we... (laughs) But I do, I just totally agree with you. Um, Do you know what? We've seen a number of transactions where um, this whole buyer selection thing probably wasn't done well enough. And do you know what? I really think in both of those instances, it was because the seller didn't use a broker. And I think it's I think it's a bit of a risk that this understanding that there's a lot of buyers out in the market, so therefore you can go and find the buyers yourself. And, and you know, accountants are really tuned into the dollars. Can they save some money doing it themselves? But at the end of the day, if you end up with a deal that falls through, it takes a lot of time, money in it, and your attention pulled away from the business if you get it wrong. So, that's the first thing. And so, for, to choose the wrong buyer, for it to fall over in due diligence, for it just to be a slow, painful process is damaging to your practice in the meantime. Yes, I agree. damaging, right? Um, But then the second component is um, where I've seen issues is after completion where a buyer has got such a different approach to running the practice to the seller and the seller, and as we've talked about, we've often got this retention. So the seller is like really invested in making sure this works because they've got money on the line, but they've got, it's not just ego. It's like this, this relationship with their clients and they Mm want to feel that their clients are looked after and that their staff is looked after. And if the buyer and the seller haven't either a, you know, aren't on the same page about that because they've not had that discussion or no one sort of match made them, which I guess what a broker is, like a matchmaker exactly. for the buyer it, and seller. No, you're absolutely right, Joanna. Our skills are in, in matching buyer and seller yeah. to make sure that it works. And I think my skill is being able to identify early, even from a phone call, whether this is going to work or not. Because yeah. just because yeah. someone's got access to capital doesn't mean they're the ideal buyer. Yeah. Because, you know, you could spin the wheels for six months. Sometimes sometimes accounting deals um, drag out for 12 months before, uh, and I've seen it before, where, you know, uh, the seller realises it's not going to work. Mm. So, you know, my skills in finding the an ideal buyer at the outset or a couple, like four to five is ideal. Mm. And then, you know, if, if they don't pan out, you go to the next four or five. Mm. But, but four you know, five of the idea, like four to yeah, five perfect that's matches. come from a large pool that's yes. been, that's been um, brought down to the right buyer for your practice. Perfect, yeah. Right and fit. and that's that's in just asking the right questions, Yeah, being able to, you know, watch your background, Yeah, what are the sort of clients you work with, those sort of questions, like just delving a little bit into their, their background and within minutes, you know, whether it's an ideal fit or uh, it, it's just not going to work. Brilliant. Absolutely love it. And and actually, I'd like to come back a little bit as well. Just like, let's just um, really quickly touch on what are the differences between selling an accounting practice versus selling 
you know, other sorts of businesses. Where, where are the where are the main differences? Do you think so? So one we've talked about the the importance of matchmaking the buyer and seller together. And I, look, I think that's relevant across industries, but it's particularly so in accounting because of this trusted advisor relationship between the accountants and their clients. So I think that's why it's whilst it's relevant across all industries, particularly relevant in this industry. But so whilst it's not different, it's just a little bit more. Mm. Intensified in this industry, but where else? What what other things do you think you know are, are different? I've got one actually. I know one. There's a high level of in accounting practices ownership of the property as well. I don't know if that's something that you've seen, but we see that a lot. That accountants quite often own the premises, and it, there are other industries where that's similar as well. But accounting is one of those particular industries where um, there, there'll be a high level of ownership of the, the actual premises. True, and I always tell, um, generally with accountants only, not to box yourself in this situation where, you know, someone's got to take the property yeah, or someone's got to move their accounting practice to your property yeah, because then you're sort of, you're limiting uh, the, the type of buyer that, uh, that that is possibly out there that could buy your practice. Yep. And generally, you know, the office space where an accountant operates from can easily be sold, leased to another party. Yeah. So it shouldn't be the be-all or end-all. Perfect. That's critical. Deal. You know, don't assume you have to find, you know, maybe it's the accountants think this is a category of buyer that you, they're looking yes. for, but you're saying, hey, you know, maybe you're looking at the wrong things in your buyers. So be careful. Yeah, and you- everyone comes with different uh, circumstances. So, you know, you might have uh, an accountant that's got a big office, it's got surplus space. Um, in a better location. So, you know, you don't want to stop that uh, that person possibly buying your practice. Yep. So um, it's look, it's similar to uh, it's similar to selling a business where you own the factory and you say to a buyer, I'll only sell it to you if you sign a five by five lease on the factory. Mm. You know, it might suit the buyer to move the business to another location might be more efficient for them or they might already have a infrastructure in another building that could accommodate that business. So mm. by tying the, the value of the property with the accounting practice, I, I just I think it's limiting. Yeah. And yep. um and look that's that's the case with uh, with most businesses. You know, keep them separate. Mm. Mm. It just yeah it just gives you more options. Yeah. Okay, so we've we've talked about um, premises being a bit different with accounting practices from uh, business sales in other industries. We've talked about um, you know the the critical importance of matching the buyer and the seller. Um, uh, so what else? What else is different in this um, in this sub industry? In some ways, Joanna, you know, selling a like the common question I get asked: Have you sold a business like this before? And you know, there's thousands of different types of businesses and I've got a list of businesses that, you know, I'll only ever sell once, you know, they're the type, so niche type businesses, but business is business and in some ways accounting practices are, are very much similar to any other business. Yeah. I, look, I agree, but I think there's, I, I, I agree, but I think there's nuances that relate to, that, that can cause roadblocks in accounting practice acquisitions that, you know, are a little bit, 
more exacerbated than in other industries. And and I think it comes back to, you know, the conservative nature often of accountants, firstly, mm. and, and the importance of having a deal team that are helping give them the confidence that, you know, they've found the right seller and that these, that the warranties and indemnities, for example, are okay, you know, and that they're yeah. normal in this situation. And this is how they're dealt with, you know, from a commercial perspective. I think that's one thing. I think if, um, I th- so I think that trusted relationship with their broker and their accountant, the deal team is particularly important in this space to help keep things moving. But, you know, I also think, um, you, you know, because the main elements of value in an accounting practice are really generally two things. Um, generally, they're the client base and they're the staff. And they may yeah. not always be the staff. Sometimes they are, sometimes they aren't. But they're generally the two sort of areas of value. And I feel like in this industry, that's where the focus you know, often needs to be just to making sure that everyone's comfortable that that value is transferring. What, what- yeah, no, I, I agree with that, Joanna. Um Probably one of the things that strikes me is that uh, typically account- accountants, the owner of a firm, would have a one-on-one relationship with most of their clients. And, you know, you're trying to transfer that to another person. Mm. Um, yes, the staff do have a relationship, but generally secondary and more operational. Mm. So, you know, you've got people in the back room doing the accounts um, and, that you know, on the day-to-day stuff, they're talking to the clients. But anything of strategic value, it's always one, generally one on one with the uh, the owner of the firm, mm. and mm. so you know there's a there's a whole lot of trust built around you know transferring this knowledge from the uh, the outgoing owner to the new go- uh, the incoming owner, and that's mm. that's where it's again so important to find. To find a, a match and a, mm. find, uh, a, you know, a, a trusted level between buyer and seller. Mm. And, you know, that sometimes it takes more than one meeting for that to happen as well. Oh, absolutely. I completely agree. Um, and because because this whole retention element, which is another thing that I think mm. is it's not unique to the industry. It's just that it happens in a very large number of tra- transactions in the accounting industry, almost in the same way. Yeah. <laughs> Each time, you know, like there's there's almost a formula, isn't there, you know, yeah. the, that is not the same formula that's applied, you know, to other industries generally in the same sort of almost absolute way. But um, because generally there'll be some sort of um deferred payment, you you know, retention, whatever we're calling it, Um, there's there's going to be an ongoing relationship for a period of time. Um, And I think one of the important things, I think, right from the beginning is to make sure that the buyer and seller are aligned in relation to what's going to happen on transition with the staff and with the clients, the communication, but also how long it's going to be before the buyer makes changes because buyers come in wanting to make changes quickly because they're enthusiastic and they think they've got a better way of doing it. But I just think that's what can really trigger problems when you're in this post-completion phase until the end of yeah. the payout. It's, look, it comes down to even the name of the practice. Like mm. my suggestion to an incoming owner is keep the same name, possibly six months after incorporate the name somehow. Mm. And have you know ABC part of the 
CDE group, something mm. to that effect. Mm. And then, you know, in 18 months, two years when I, I think, you know, once there's a, a relationship with, between the client and the accountant, and, and that I would give it 12 months, 18 months before you, you fully change your name and the signage and, and uh, fully incorporate into the, the new firm. That, that's my suggestion. And um, I've seen it happen. It, it generally works really well that way. You know, having the, having the, uh, the selling accountant on the premises a couple of days a week, still being the front to the clients, yes. Um, yes. the friendly face of the firm, it yes. helps. And you never know, sometimes the accountant, you know, can uh, continue for years, you know, on, on a part-time basis or a consultancy basis to, uh, you know, uh, because it suits both of them. Yep. That's the idea. I mean, that's the ideal scenario because I think um, generally accountants want want to continue in some capacity and yeah. not just uh, you know. I mean, you can play golf, but you know, five days a week, you know, it's hard to fill that that time. <laughs> it's a bit of a void when you've been working so hard all your life. So yes, yes. Uh, Be aware of that from the outset. I guess is the point. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, that's it for our first part of our two-part series, all about buying and selling accounting practices. Now, just a reminder, don't forget to tune in next week to the next episode where we talk about current market conditions before and during COVID and the impact and valuation of having business clients versus individual clients, or indeed the quality of the clients. We talk about committing to the process and we give some tips and final takeaways. And that will be in part two of this two-part series. But of course, you've just finished part one of the two-part series. So if you were interested in uh, finding out more about this topic that we spoke about today, firstly, you can contact Mark Attard at Exclusive Business Sales by heading over to our website at www.thedealroompodcast.com or check out the show notes. We'll link straight through to Mark Attard. And of course, we also on our website have a way for you to contact our lawyers at Aspect Legal. If you are interested or your clients are interested in discussing any legal aspects of sales or acquisitions of accounting practices. We've got a number of great services to assist accounting practices and we deal with a lot of businesses in this area. And finally, if you enjoyed what you heard today, then please pop over to iTunes and leave us a review. Well, that's it for today. Don't forget to tune in next week to part two of this two-part series. But for today, thanks again for listening in. You've been listening to Joanna Oki and the Deal Room Podcast a podcast proudly brought to you by our commercial legal practice, Aspect Legal. See you next time. Aspect Legal has a number of great services that help businesses prepare for a sale or acquisition to help them prepare in advance and to get transaction ready. We've also got a range of services to help guide businesses through the sale and acquisitions process. We work with clients both big and small and have different types of services depending on size and complexity. We provide a free consultation to discuss your proposed sale or acquisition. So see our show notes on how to book a time to speak with us or head over to our website at aspectlegal.com.au. Ladies and gentlemen.
will conclude this evening's entertainment. Thanks for listening to the Deal Room Podcast. To find out more about this episode and other episodes in the series, check out the show notes or head over to our website at thedealroompodcast.com.au. Thank you.